Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk, everyone. Today, I have a very special friend who's a guest, and she is the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate kidney advocate. That's all I can say. She has helped people get kidney transplants, learn how to get kidney transplants, and has a very personal connection to this. That's what I think drives her passion. So I'm very excited to speak to Carol Franks, and she's going to talk to us all about how to go about getting a living donor for a kidney transplant. Welcome to the show, Carol. Thanks, Lori. So tell us a little bit about how you became involved in the topic of kidney disease. Well, um, many years ago, my daughter, who was uh, 15 at the time, was diagnosed with kidney failure. She was at, I believe, about 25% function. She was 15 and had no symptoms. It was um, really totally out of the blue, which now I learn a lot of patients are blindsided by this information because until your kidney function is pretty low, you don't really feel the difference. And unfortunately, it's silently happening while you're unaware. So uh, hers was due to um, a, a bladder defect, a pretty rare, unusual um, defect that was later um remedied through a bladder augmentation. But at the time, we didn't know anything about that. All Mm -hmm. we knew was that she needed to start some medication for blood pressure and that within a year to five years, she would need dialysis or transplant. So that's how we started this um, road. And that's the time I met you, Lori. Actually, I went to one of your um, patient information meetings with Jenna, and I met your mom and your whole gang, and um, it was very informative. But you were also very you know, helpful with your experience as a teen um, and child going through kidney failure. So that was, it gave me a lot of hope to see you were doing just fine. I was just running around that room, right? (laughs) I remember that room. It was the same room that I got married in, too, um, at the Pickwick in Burbank. Well, and what year was that? Because I think that makes an important distinction because, uh, We've evolved with social media and the Internet, and I think that's going to help people uh, finding a kidney and looking for a kidney. But what year was that? I think that was 99, 98 or 99. Yeah, it was back then. So, you know, it was pretty new. The Internet was, right. wasn't was really all that discovered or it cost you a fortune to sign on for two seconds. So, um, so tell us about the first time you went to go seek Jenna, a a donor, because nobody in your family was able to donate. Is that correct? Yes. My father actually died of polycystic kidney disease, and my siblings all have polycystic kidney disease. I don't, and it was, you know, pretty bizarre to imagine that my daughter would end up with a totally unrelated kidney disease. But, yeah, that ruled out most family members, and she was young, her siblings, she's the oldest of four kids, so they were all too young to get tested. So I know that Jen had to go on dialysis for a while, and that must have just been so traumatic because we've now learned that it's better to get a preemptive transplant if you're able to. Right, and I had even heard that back then, and that was our goal, to find a uh, a donor and get her transplanted. Um, I was involved in a, a couple websites, where I'd just read information, and um, I had heard that, that you could get a preemptive transplant. So um, it took forever to get her waitlisted, and that's something that I think patients have to really push for because you think that your transplant team is doing everything for you, but they know that the wait time for deceased donor is years away. The wait time is huge. So they're not in any rush, really, to get patients evaluated. But once you're below, I think, GFR 10. It's GFR of 20. 20. You can get evaluated. So we did that. We we tr- contacted them, and she was actually still a minor then. She didn't start dialysis till she was 18. When I first tried to get her listed, she was 17, and that would have given her an advantage as a pediatric. But the hospital we were at, you know, we found out through experience 
was not that great. They didn't have a really responsive transplant coordinator. We didn't get calls back. And even after three months of patiently waiting, I called and said, you know, asked for the coordinator, and they said, oh, she's not here anymore. Uh, We're between coordinators. And so Jenna's file basically sat on someone's desk for a couple months. So at that point, we left that hospital, went to another hospital, and yeah, it was just trial and error. I mean, I think with the internet now, it is, you can get a lot more information, a lot more people's experience, and back then, it was just, you know, clawing away in the dark trying to (laughs) find an answer, but I think if the patient isn't hearing from their coordinator, aren't getting callbacks, doesn't get a list of tests that are required of them, isn't uh, getting support from um, their social worker from their hospital, or, or um, and they haven't started dialysis yet, they still can push for these things. They just have to be, uh, you just have to be knowledgeable about what you're asking for and then just know what's available and then insist that they help you. And if they don't, find another hospital. There's Just because one is close to you doesn't mean it's the best choice. Well, and I know that the squeaky wheel gets the oil, but I like to say the pain in the ass is live. And, you know, because it really is, you have to be persistent, you have to be polite, you have to be nice, but persistence is, is imperative when you're trying to seek care. And I wanted to talk a little bit about, because people don't really know that you can multi-list. Yeah. And maybe you can explain a little bit about that process and how you went about that. Okay. So um, that was another thing we tried. Uh, so Jenna was 18 and we, um, she was on dialysis and we, the hospital here in Los Angeles was, um, I think then it was five to seven year wait. And uh, a, a woman, I think she was a patient advocate at dialysis, recommended that we do multi-listing. She said they may be ending this. But for right now, it's allowed and available, but you just have to ask for it. So um, I checked with our health insurance to find out if they allowed multi-listing because I didn't want to go to other uh, hospitals and find out, you know, that it wasn't going to be covered. So they did, in fact, allow multi-listing. So we're in Los Angeles. We went to San Diego, and we got her evaluated there. And since she was already approved for the list here in Los Angeles, it was a day or two of tests, and she was approved. Then we went to San Francisco, which turns out wasn't probably the best move because their list is just as long as Los Angeles. But, you know, I didn't know then. I just um, went to... Uh, an area that was outside our procurement area. So Los Angeles is a large procurement area, and San Diego has its own. San Francisco has it, its own. So you can also go to another state. I know people that have gone to um, to Arizona from here or um, New Mexico. I mean, they don't have a helmet law, so there's that. <laughs> so that's so dark and morbid. But the helmet law. I, I mean, because the terrible. reality is, is deceased donors usually are from like an aneurysm or an accident or drowning. I mean, it's not somebody who's a serious illness that their, you know, body deteriorated. And so it is a little gruesome. But, you know, when they created the helmet law, because a lot of, I mean, it's a joke. People see a motorcycle go by and you go, oh, there goes a donor. And, and yeah, donor cycle. <laughs> and it's, it's, uh, and now the texting is kind of increasing too, because people are texting and driving and I'm not recommending that, but you know, people get in accidents yeah. and it's, uh, uh, it did impact some of the, um, organ donation but uh, well, also um, emergency room techniques are getting better and better and they're able to save people that m- might have had you know a swimming pool diving accident or skateboard something that um, a few years ago would have been the end they're now able to save them so yeah it's um, it's great for humankind it's not so great for people waiting for an organ transplant unfortunately <laughs> Well, and there are 53 organ procurement agencies in the country. So uh, you may uh, be able to, you know, do a search or go ask a question and and be able to multi-list. So I want to move on because this is what people are most interested in is how do you find a living donor? And I think that um, you have more experience in this than anyone that I know. Really? Well, 
we've done it a few times. My daughter had a transplant when she was 21, and that kidney lasted seven years, and then she was on dialysis for five years and got another living donor transplant three years ago. So those were both from strangers, people, you know, that weren't in our circle of friends or uh, relatives. Um, the first one was, like you had said, the beginning of the Internet. Uh, people were using it to some degree, but mostly like, you know, sewing chat rooms or gaming or, you know, there were there were specific topics. But one site I found was uh, all about living donors, and it was started by Michael Murphy, who had donated a kidney, and he had found it very difficult to find information when he was doing it. So he started this website to just basically gather experiences and information and to present it for other people searching for the same information. So um, I got on there and just read story after story of people who, you know, had donated and how they uh, came to do it. And I found that there were there were some strangers that had donated, but most of them were, you know, had some personal relationship with their donor um, or their recipient. So we asked the hospital here in Los Angeles, what about a stranger, you know, um, altruistic donor? And they said, oh, those never pan out. <laughs> they said, well, wouldn't it be worth exploring? And they said, no, they weren't going to, they weren't willing to look at someone. And there was also the suspicion that maybe you were um, paying them or giving them something in exchange, which is illegal, was illegal, still illegal. Um, you can't buy or sell a kidney. Anyway, that was kind of a dead end. But a woman posted that she had been approved to donate to someone, and the very last minute there was a positive cross-match and she couldn't donate. She wanted to understand what happened. And and just to reiterate, a positive cross-match means that some antibodies pop up that you won't be a good match because you'll reject the kidney. The donor will, the recipient will reject the donor's kidney. Right. Yeah. So positive in this case is a negative. Exactly. Because it's very not, confusing. It's not good news. Um, you, <laughs> you are basically, their, their transplant surgery was canceled like three days before. She ended up following, um, I just had a little signature line that I had, a link to my daughter's um, at the time. It was called Caring Bridge. I think they still have it, but people seem to use their Facebook or other, maybe a website now for more information. But back then, she followed and, and read our story and offered to get tested. And she turned out to be a match for Jenna. So that just that connection of being on there, reading, sharing, it just brought somebody to uh, she was in ohio we're in los angeles she she came and did all the testing she um she's an amazing person and um her goal really was just to help someone else she said when she first read about the guy that she tested for it was in the newspaper and she hung on to the article for a couple of days and then she showed it to her husband he read it and he said you're thinking about doing this, aren't you? <laughs> she said, yeah, why wouldn't I if I could? I have healthy kids. I have my health. I'm so fortunate. And so um, that's why she tested for the first guy. And then she was still determined to um, donate. So, you know, people like that are just, just heroes in my view. Well, and I think one of the things that you've already stressed for people who are out seeking uh, finding a donor is, you know, your story has to be told. And it's best if somebody else can tell your story. Is is that correct? Yeah, I think um, people don't like to be a burden. They don't like to ask. I don't even know if I could ask for a kidney for myself, honestly. I think I'd ask someone else to ask <laughs> because when it's for you and you're saying, you know, help me, please, I need a kidney, I think it's very daunting for people and it's embarrassing and it's like begging. And um, I know a lot of parents have contacted me. They're trying to find their teenager a donor and their teenagers have said, I don't want to be, you know, this pitiful um, begging person. That's not, you know, it's hard for their parents to get them to agree to even let them do the search. But if you can get your family or friends to kind of come on board and help you and let them tell your story, let them interact with uh, people who respond, I think it's a lot better because 
advocating for someone else is really all you can do. Like my daughter, I wanted to donate a kidney to her. I couldn't. I wasn't a match. I couldn't donate to her, but I still wanted to find a way to help her. And I think a lot of people feel that way, that they just don't know what to do. But there are a lot of things they can do, and they can help with a campaign to find a, a living donor and just keep reaching out. You never know where that miracle will come from. Well, and I think, too, that people don't realize that when you are saying, hey, would you consider donating a kidney and being a potential donor? It's not like they just whisk you into surgery as soon as you maybe raise your hand. It's a process. People have to go through psychological testing, and and the recipient is totally separated. You don't know what's going on because they try to keep those two, two um groups different. Like you can't call up and say, hey, did my friend get tested? Because, you know, there's so many emotions that are involved and some people just don't want to donate and that's their right. I mean, it's, (laughs) it's, it's a, it's a big ask. I feel like the big ask is maybe not asking for somebody to donate to you. What it means is to get your story out there. And if it resonates with someone, they're going to um, come forward. But I I just think it's a mistake to, you know, to turn to your sister and say, hey, can you give me a kidney? Because it puts a huge amount of guilt and responsibility on someone that may not be prepared for it. And not everyone's healthy enough to donate a kidney. You have to be super healthy. You can't just, uh, like you said, stroll in there and the next day you're in the, the OR. There's a lot of tests. And there's also the idea that, you, you know, you have to be right in your motivation as well. They don't want someone to be coerced or pressured or guilty and they're donating when they don't really want to. So it's it's not something that happens quickly and that there's a good reason for that. And like you say, the coordinators are different. There's a living donor coordinator and there's the patient coordinator and they don't, like you can't get the information about either process if you're not that person, like the donor can share with you what they're doing, but um, you'll you'll never know from the hospital, which is good. It should be confidential and protected. So J- Jenna uh, was able to get her first transplant um, from a woman who wanted to donate to another person, was unable to, and followed through, flew from Ohio. Uh, Jenna got a second transplant, and what was the story behind that? Well, her first transplant, she developed antibodies to her transplant. You know, they know a lot more about matching now than they did then. And um, she had a mild positive cross-match right before her first transplant, but they mitigated it with some treatments, desensitization treatments, but it didn't really work. I mean, we know so much more now how that works and how to target different antibodies. And, I mean, as you know, it's a whole science. It's um, incredible how much they know now compared to even 10 years ago. But she developed antibodies, so now she was looking at having a great deal of difficulty finding a new donor, especially if she waited for deceased donor, because now the wait time in Los Angeles for type O, which she is, was 10 years. And... um with her high antibodies, which was 100%, it was like 99.7%, she would wait 20 years. So living for 20 years on dialysis is possible, but it's not preferable. I mean, it's it's surviving, but it's not thriving. So we were hoping to find her donor. We did a lot of things, too, to, to try to find her donor during that time, but because of her high antibodies, we weren't able to find anyone who matched but her godmother saw a post that I put, just another one I posted all the time on. I made a page for Jenna's donor search and put, um, you know, pictures and anything I could find, just keep the page active. And um, one of them, uh, her godmother, Rhonda, shared someone that she had just seen a few days before at her high school reunion, saw it and said, I'll get tested. So... Often I hear from people, they say that, but they don't follow through. And I understand that. I mean, it sounds like a good idea at the time, but it's <laughs> surgery. It's, you know, it's a lot to go through for a family member, let alone a stranger. So um, I always kind of took that lightly, like, don't get my hopes up. Just wait and see what happens. But he was very determined, and he went, he lived in um, Arizona, and he went to San Diego, the hospital that was had really good, 
transplant coordinator and was very um, responsive to any living donors that we would find. And they got him processed. They found out he wasn't a match. But um, we asked at that time, well, could he be in a pair donation swap? And they didn't have it then, but they were willing to get started up for Jenna. So they did that, put her into the program with him. And then we waited five years <laughs> with no match, no hits, no nothing. Um, and we continued to look for a living donor during that time because that was uh, not, you know, it just wasn't panning out. And it was because of her high antibodies. Well, every hospital has a different program and how they, uh, you know, we're learning so much more and they're developing paired donation programs that are more robust where they put more people who want to donate that aren't a match for the person they want to give to. And then it's like a giant kidney match pool where they, they match people up and then they do a paired donation or or like a chain. Yeah. And well, I was to learn more about the National Kidney Registry that time because I ended up speaking to the founder who the reason he started <laughs> it. Garrett, yeah, because he couldn't find a donor for his daughter. No one in the family matched, but he had all these willing donors and no one to match his daughter. And he said, "Why wouldn't it be great if we could just find someone else in the same situation and swap? And, you know, basically this great idea was born. And um, they uh, actually do matches every day. So they have a giant pool of donors, giant pool of recipients, and they're matching every day and finding a match for people who have a willing donor but have no chance of getting a transplant, now they're able to match up with someone else. And, yeah, it's really an amazing thing. And it's, uh, you know, it gives people so much hope because when I spoke to him many years ago, he was talking about where sometimes if you just click off one antibody, which now science can deal with that with medication. Yeah. And, and then you have a match. It just needs that, like, personal touch. And the, to my understanding, the UNOS database or any matching database is just basically, uh, it can't differentiate people. It's like black and white. So um, he created some incredible software, and it's really driving the community to, to really work on the side of patients and help us get matched. Uh, you know, I want to move a little bit into, because I know what people really want to know is, can we just maybe go through all the things you have to do to get transplanted? Because you did everything. And um, maybe why don't you give me advice? Like, hey, I'm looking for a kidney. What do I need to do? What could I do? And how do I go about it? Okay. Well, um, people ask this all the time, and they rarely take my advice. So, <laughs> but, um, And I think the reason is it sounds so overwhelming, but you have to understand I've been doing this for many, many years. So, I've learned what works and what doesn't work, and um, I think people feel like it's all overwhelming. I can't do all that, but even if you just do a couple things, it can... Well, here's the thing that I found out that was a surprise in all this. I've met some wonderful families who are waiting for kidneys. I've met, met some women who are fighting to find their husband or their kids a transplant. I've met patients who have waiting, who are confused and lost, and I've met some donors who are determined and willing to donate. So all of this um, stress of looking for donor stuff, the, the benefit has been these wonderful relationships of um, a community that's out there. And a lot of, I think a lot of kidney patients, dialysis patients in particular, they feel alone, you know, they can't really do much, they're tired, they're not feeling great, they go to dialysis, they go home. But there's a whole community of um, people out there um, in, in Facebook and in Instagram and where they're just sharing support, they're sharing stories, they're sharing ideas, and that's how... And, and I read everything, too, so that's how I found out about a lot of these things because someone else had either done it or it sounded like a good idea, and I tried it. So the first thing I did for Jenna was start a Facebook page. So it's not an individual and it's not a group. It's just a page. It's basically the category is community. And basically, you're just filling in all the parts, you know. Um, and it was called, like, Jenna Needs a Kidney, right? Yeah. It, hers was a wanted kidney donor. For okay. Jenna, but I told her story in a short, compelling, 
easy, you know, way. Just this, these are the facts. And uh, then photos. Take some photos. Take, I included pictures when she was little. I included pictures of her with her family, with her cat. <laughs> Anything that people would stop and look. What is that picture? Because we're lo- really visually driven. I think some people won't even read something, but they'll look at the picture. So I post pictures. I would make little graphics about organ donation. Anything I could just to keep the page fresh so that somebody didn't land there and go, oh, this, maybe she got a transplant already. This doesn't look active. So um, I populated that page. I didn't know what I was doing. I Googled a lot of it. You know, how do you do this? How do you do that? It's um, it's very simple. It's free, and you don't have to spend a lot of time doing it. But the reason they call it social media is you have to be social. You have to uh, participate with other people. If your page just sits there and you don't share it with people, you don't um, ask other people to share it, it's not going to get likes, it's not going to get activity. So I was always asking people to share it. But I also liked other pages. I went to the National Kidney Foundation. I went to Renal Support Network. I liked their pages. I comment on their stuff. Other people, you know, you can just type in looking for a kidney and you'll find a 100 pages of people also looking. So I'd go to their page, I would like it, I would comment on their post, and I would see their ideas of what they were doing. So all of that taught me a lot about um, reaching out. And and didn't also, just by doing that, you had reporters call you. Yeah, well, that was um, the reporters. The, the good thing about the kidney uh, search Facebook page was it was a good landing point because no matter what I was doing, if I was... I posted on Craigslist. I posted ads. They're free. I posted all over the United States. And they do have a rule that there's no, um, because they're worried somebody might be buying or selling a kidney, they have a rule about not posting about body parts. But they seem to overlook it a little bit. And um, I would post. Sometimes they'd get flagged for deletion, and then I'd repost. But those in those ads, I would include the Facebook page so they would land there. So everybody would land there often no matter what I did. It, it, it would be coming back to the Facebook page so they could get all the information and had the hospital and everything. So people knew that it was a real thing and not somebody trying to scam people for money or, you know, for a, a sympathy or something. It was a real, you know, real kidney search. But um, the Facebook page too, I think, um, just knowing that there were other people who would comment and be supportive and give me ideas. That was just really helpful um, in general, just just knowing that I wasn't alone out there. Right. And it gives you credibility when you, you know, you get some spam Facebook and you, you link on it and it's got like two posts and it just was started. You know that that page hasn't been around. Right. I thought one of the other things that you did was really brilliant was you created a personal email that everything was directed to so you weren't, you know, mixing your own email and and that was a good way to keep it separate. Yeah, and and that was great too because I didn't mind it being out in the public like it's kidneyforjenna at gmail.com. I had that everywhere. I mean, if that was my personal email or my phone number, it would have been a bad idea, I think. You know, you don't want, you do get some weirdos who come up with all kinds of stuff. I mean, that's our world. You know, there are some people that either make a joke of it or they say, why should she get one? I've been waiting all these years. You you get a range of opinions. And um, I think having a, a specific email for that purpose is, is really important. And that's what we used in... Um, in the Craigslist ads, what happened there was a reporter locally here was doing a story about weird things people put on Craigslist. She, her, her editor had said, let's do a story. So she came upon my post and she said, you know, I want to include you in this story, but actually my editor would like to feature your story. And I said, well, you know, you're not really supposed to post on Craigslist. <laughs> and I'd hate to be blocked, but I guess, you know, that's fine. So she wrote a little story on the Craigslist, it was called, Are You My Type? And 
So she started the story out about, you know, this girl looking off into the distance and wondering, are you my type? And started this, this story in kind of a funny way. I thought it was kind of funny, but it ended up telling Jenna's story. And the next morning I woke up and the phone was ringing, ringing, ringing. I, what is going on? It was all the local TV stations wanted to do story because of that little article in the Pasadena Star News. And uh, they, I said, well, how about tomorrow? They said, no, no, we've got time today. And that's the way the news is. You have to, <laughs> you jump when they say jump because they have availability. Tomorrow there could be a fire or a, a political story or something else that takes their attention. So we just kind of scrambled around and three news vans came back to back and we did news stories. And we had thousands of emails, thousands of people wow. wrote from all over the country. <laughs> And a lot of people from that tested, but she is too hard to match. She was, she was not going to match anyone, it turns out. It would be very rare. They said she'd match she one so out of... so many antibodies, I know. <laughs> three out of 10,000 people. So I was thinking, well, we tested 75. We only have how many thousands more to go? So, but, but little things like that, like I never expected mm. those Craigslist ads to turn into... Like, you can't even well, really plan that stuff. Well, exactly. And I remember you got featured on Twitter because you wrote on the back of your car. Yeah, so that was another thing I'd seen someone else wrote on the back of their car uh, with glass chalk from Walmart. It's $1.97 for this glass chalk. And um, so I ordered some, and I wrote in big letters on the back of my husband's car and the back of my son's car, my daughter needs a kidney type O and Again, kidneyforjenna at gmail.com. And um, everywhere we went, people would take pictures and share it, like especially at Costco. People were taking pictures, and I'd see it on, because then I could just search for Kidney for Jenna, and I would see it in Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. I saw it everywhere. But the one thing that happened, this girl in Santa Monica, we were over there for a, a christening at a church. We le- My husband left there. Some girl took the picture of his car and said, this honestly needs to go viral. And she was, she had a lot of friends, but also one of her friends was a friend of Justin Bieber's. So somehow that night this tweet got retweeted over 10,000 times. And the next day, same thing, we were getting calls. And I actually called one of the reporters who had done the story earlier about Jenna and said, you know, can you believe this? 10,000 retweets. And she said, time for a follow-up. So <laughs> you, it's always good to stay in touch with the people who have helped you in the past because they really are big supporters of, you know, what you're doing. And um, so they did another story. We got thousands more. Jenna and I sat here for three weeks answering emails. We answered every single email and um, sent them all information about getting tested. And again, a lot of people came forward. Our hospital, I had to call her and say, uh, I'm a little surprised. <laughs> there, you may get some calls because we've got all these people interested. They had to add two fax machines at their transplant office because of all the, uh, applications that were coming in. So, oh, but that leads me to this, to remind people of this. What the coordinator said to me then is, you know, I wish these people were healthier. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, some of them are obese. You know, they're not going to be able to donate unless they lose a lot of weight. Some of them have high blood pressure or have had cancer. And I said, well, tell me what to tell them because I'd rather not waste your time, you know, if they're coming to you and you're having to go through all these uh, applications that are going to go nowhere. Let me, you know, get the criteria up front. So she and I, you know, put together a little email that we could use to respond to people and it was great because it cut down on a lot of people contacting them that that couldn't really couldn't donate that were well meaning and very sweet but you know they wouldn't have been found to be um suitable because you know they had other health problems well and diabetes and high blood pressure are the two number one causes so right they're not going to look at you as a donor yeah they're not and if you've had cancer within a certain amount of time I mean, I, I don't know what the time is. I, I would say five years, but everybody's yeah, different. Um, you know, they don't want to consider that. Uh, if you are on, you know, heavy antidepressants because they're heavy metals, I know they don't want to consider. Well, because... also, it's very stressful to go through, you know, uh, surgery. So anyone that's struggling with um, 
depression and stuff, it's not recommended anyway, you know. Right, because it's, it's it's you know, you're, and then there's also, um, if you have a high BMI or uh, if, if they indicate that, you know, you might want to ask for money or something like that, that, like you said, is not legal. Yeah. And so it has to be a gift. It, it, it is a gift and people need to be aware of that. But also was very interesting, and you've, you've heard of this many times, Carol, about people go to donate and then they find that they have a serious health issue and by them trying to donate, it saves their life. That actually happened to one of Jenna's donors. Um, he w- went through all the testing in his town in Tennessee. He, um, they sent a lab kit. He did everything, you know, was cleared by his doctor. Then he came out to California to do the final scans. And really, that means you're pretty much done. They just do some vascular scans. They do some EKGs, anything to make sure that now they have you physically in front of them that they could rule out any problems. turned out he had a massive problem. He had arteriosclerosis. Arter- I don't know how to say that. Some calcification of the arteries. Yeah, and he... Um, he certainly would be fine. He needed probably to do follow-up, but he had no idea, and um, he needed to do some um, changes in his in his lifestyle and his do some medication stuff to prolong his life. Another woman that happened to, she came out to test for Jenna, and she ended up having sponge kidney, which they said she probably would live her whole life, maybe not even ever know she had it, but she couldn't give a kidney. You know, she wouldn't be able to a donate and um we've also had donors who they couldn't donate to Jenna they weren't a match but they actually went on to donate to other people several of them because of Jenna's story in the paper went on to donate to other people even one I know uh, she was given a kidney by a, a man here in California he donated to her at Cedars and she's doing fine and he's doing fine and um I mean Living donors are just amazing, amazing people. One thing people have to know that are considering donating a kidney is that they don't pay for any medical costs. It's all picked up by the patient's insurance. Right. And then the other thing is, is that if you donated a kidney, and this is very, very rare, but it's always a risk, if something happens to your other kidney... And you perhaps need a transplant, which I know a handful of cases where that's happened. Uh, you go to the top of the list. Yeah, you get points. And you may end up waiting a little while, but you're not going to wait as long as uh, well, anyone well, else. Well, my friend got on the list, and in two weeks he got a transplant. Wow. And because they do bump you to the top. Well, they should. I mean, this yes. person gave a kidney to someone right. to save I their mean, life. Right. I mean, you go to the top of the list, so um, you never want to you know, say get a transplant, but you have a little bit more appreciation of the fact that you, you know, did give that gift of life. And, you know, and now they're much better at testing. Um, This happened, he donated a kidney to his sister in the 80s. And, you know, his his whole family was really at high blood pressure risk and had a lot of issues. And today he would have been ruled out. Right. So, um, you know, it is a medical practice. They are advancing. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that I think people need to know is that this is an ongoing marathon. You can't just put a post up or say, hey, I, I need an organ or I need a kidney transplant. Would you be willing to be a potential donor? Because I've had friends that uh, I said, how did you get a kidney? You know, that's like an opening line yeah. when you go somewhere. They're like, oh, my neighbor came over and offered it to me. Or my classmate, you know, saw my post on an email and said, I'll, I'll give you a kidney. And you just never know who that person going to be. The people you think will donate often don't. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think there are people who we met along the way who were shocked to hear you didn't have to be a family member. You know, they said, I thought only family would match. And I said, actually, sometimes families have all the same antibodies, so they're not even a match. Right. Whereas a stranger who isn't in their same, you know, family pool will have antibodies that play nicer with the recipient. And um, so, yeah, strangers can donate, unrelated, um, different. My friend Amy, who's a living donor, she said, we're all pink on the inside. So anybody 
any color, any ethnicity can donate to any other, which is incredible. Most people think you have to match that way too. So it really is amazing how uh, interchangeable our organs are. Well, and, you know, one of the other things that I think is pretty incredible is that, you know, you have two sisters now, um, one who just got a transplant and one is waiting. And so you have been searching for them to get a transplant, and maybe you can give an update. Okay. Well, my sister Bonnie has been on dialysis for a few years. Like I said, my family has polycystic kidney disease. She is doing great on peritoneal dialysis. She's really great at following all the rules and staying as healthy as possible. Um, but she's been waiting. She hasn't found a match. And um, the wait time here is 10 years minimum in uh, Los Angeles now for deceased donor. So I started looking for a living donor for her as soon as she got listed. And she didn't get listed until after she was on dialysis, which I keep, you know, Reminding people you don't have to wait, but right. you know it's hard to it's hard to imagine even when you're sick and you're getting sleepier and your appetite is going. It's still people can't believe they're going to be on dialysis or transplant. It's I think it's just a way. It's a protection or something. The denial is I just won't think about it now. You know I'll well, worry about and, it when I have to. And I, I think to. also you don't feel well. If you have a family member who, like you've done for Jenna, you've been the pushing force because, I mean, I even know when I wasn't feeling well and I, you, you know, you just like, oh, God, I just don't, you know. You just I know, I remember telling you, Lori, you have to do something. I know, everybody, and, you know, and I did, and I started, do- and then I had to change hospitals, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is so much work. Yeah, and, and, and luckily it's terrifying the support, to change hospitals, but you have to. You have to make the choice that's best for you to get the best care, but as you said, you're exhausted, and and sometimes you just give up hope or just think that something's going to change, but when nothing well, changes, nothing changes. Yeah, and people say, I don't want to be a burden. I don't right. want my family to have to worry. But they do worry. They're seeing what's happening right. to you, and they know that you're sick. You just have to. They don't know what to do. You have right. to give them tasks. You have to say, "This is what would help me." You know, this is if you could be on my team and help me, that would be. Sorry. So Bonnie is waiting for a kidney right She's now. She's waiting. Right? So I've been searching for her, and I've had a few hits uh, and people who have uh, tested but weren't healthy enough to donate and. I'm still searching for her, and um, I know her hero is out there somewhere. Um, it just hasn't happened. Her husband recently had a health issue, and he had always thought he'd be the one to donate to her because we've known for, you know, when you have polycystic kidney disease, you know your your whole life that you're going to be facing this at some point. So that was hard for them to take. So she's still waiting. I'm searching. I'm one thing that I done in the past with Jenna on Facebook is to um, run some ads. They're relatively inexpensive. You can uh, target your audience. You can say, I want only people from Missouri between these ages that are female that <laughs> like dogs. I mean, literally, you can do that. Um, and those those are the people who always like wanted to. Beans. <laughs> <laughs> the, the people that wanted to donate always seem to be people who who are volunteering in their lives somehow, or love animals, or you know what I mean. It's it's <laughs> there's there's a type of person that seems to be over and over. Or like Gary, Jenna's swap donor. He's a volunteer fireman. He was a marine. He's uh, the kind of person that is always looking to help people mm-hmm. and. Um, so anyway, these ads can be great because you can spend $20 over 10 days or $100 over two weeks and you could target your audience and see if you get some uh, responses. And I think that I'm going to do that now for Bonnie because um, the last thing that happened was somebody did a news story about waiting for a kidney and they used the back of our car picture had nothing to do with our story, but they used the picture that said, my daughter needs a kidney in their news story. And so I got all these emails again. So I referred them to possibly testing for my sister um, because they're writing about Jenna, who's got a transplant. So the thing is, if you put yourself out there, I mean, if you Google me, you're going to find 10,000 things 10, about kidneys. Well, and, and your other sister, 
Lori. Now uh, she... She yeah. just got transplanted. She got transplanted without ever doing one day of dialysis. And um, I had tried to do this, like I said, with Jenna years ago, preemptive transplant. Why not get tested, get evaluated, get approved? And if you have a living donor, you just jump. You know, you don't have to, to wait. And her boyfriend actually listened. <laughs> he He said, well, let's make this happen. He wanted to get tested for her. Well, you know the chances of a spouse or partner matching, I don't know what the chances are, but I would imagine it's not all that common. You do read about it in the paper, but that's why it's in the paper because it's unusual that a spouse would match. But um, he did, in fact, match, and he went through all the tests. He kept saying, what do I have to do next? When's my colonoscopy? <laughs> when you know when are the scans? He was very motivated and very uh, proactive in getting his testing done, and hers as well. And and I recall during that following her on Facebook, she broke her foot during all of it. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, oh my goodness! But she didn't she didn't lose any steam because well, of that. They, you know what they said? You have to be mobile if you're going to get your transplant because you have to be able to walk. You need to be able to get exercise. You need to be able to come in and out of the clinic. So. They said you have to wait till your broken leg heals. I mean, can you imagine? She's got a living donor. Her kidney function is waning uh, weekly, and it just all came together, plus the, the virus. Right. You know, they postponed all transplants at their hospital. So the minute they could do it, they said, you know, we have a date available for surgery, and they said, let's do it. Yeah, so like two weeks ago, she got a kidney, and she's doing well, and they're both recovering at home with help from their kids. That's really wonderful. Well, before we wrap up, because um, I, I know that you're going to write a blog for us that we're going to uh, put a link with this where there'll be some more uh, information and, you know, get people on the track. But you have to be creative. I mean, yeah. I know one guy wore, wore like a billboard walking right. up and down the street and he got his wife a kitty. I mean, But you, you know, know what? It, this is the thing. And I, I always try to remind people this and they seem to miss this part of the information. It's not the billboard, it's not the sandwich board, it's not the Craigslist ad, it's the thought that someone will pick up your story and share it widely. So you can always pitch it to your local paper, you can say, hey, I'm thinking about getting a billboard for my daughter, she needs a kidney. They love stories like that to fill in when they, you know, they need good news sometimes. What they do, um, yes. The thing with the billboard, I talked to a guy, I called, I saw he had a billboard somewhere in uh, Missouri, I called, I found him on Facebook, I called him up and I said, how did you do this? And he told me, I asked for a discount, they said yes, I got a picture and put some words on it, I sent it over, and it was, you know, they, the media came out, they took pictures of him in front of his billboard, and he got tons of responses, so, you know, I just, every time I see somebody do something, I ask them, how did you do how that, did you what do did that? it take, and yeah, you just have to... I literally, I said to Gary, Jenna's donor, if this didn't work out, I was ready to jump out of an airplane with a banner. And he said, I'll do that because he loves jumping out of an airplane. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a, that's another idea for somebody. Uh, before we wrap up, because this is just, um, I think we could go on for a couple of hours. Yeah. But what, you know, people need to be aware of scams. And maybe just touch on that a little bit, because a lot of people want to scam and say, give me some money and I'll find you a kidney, and that doesn't really work. Yeah, there's some just unscrupulous people. I mean, in Craigslist, you know, well, everybody's kind of hidden. You don't really know who you're dealing with. And a couple people on Craigslist actually offered to marry Jenna if, <laughs> uh, in exchange for a kidney if I would just... Uh, talk her into marrying them and bring them over from another country, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, and then um, some also said, "I just need bus fare to the hospital, do the testing, or something like that." So people were asking for money. Well, it's illegal to give them anything. I mean, rules have changed now, and there is, if somebody's donating to you, you can help cover their lost wages their travel and lodging expense, and their child care during that time. Those are things that you can reimburse for, but you have to think of it very clearly. It has to be outlined very well so that the understanding is clear. Their medical bills are covered by insurance, but those other expenses, some donors can't foot the bill. And there are resources on the Internet. I can give people resources for finding financial support for their donor 
But um, some hospitals tell you, just do fundraising. Do some fundraising, which we did that as well. You did like a GoFundMe page. Yeah, I did a GoFundMe to help cover. Because um, what Gary did, he actually did what's called Advanced Donor Program. He said, I'd like to donate now. I've been waiting five years. I don't know how, you know, if I'll be healthy forever, if I get thrown from my horse or something. So he donated his kidney so Jenna could get a voucher. And as soon as the match was found, she got her kidney. So that was even better because we didn't have to wait to coordinate these two surgeries. He donated his kidney. Amazingly, the National Kidney found, uh, National Kidney Registry found her a match, someone who only had one antibody in common with her. And she had to go through a lot of desensitization, and that's enough information for a whole nother Podcast, we do have a but, podcast on that, actually, from the expert, Dr. Jordan, talks yeah, about desensitization. Yeah, I think that's a great one. It's yeah, it's really a great helpful. podcast. Yeah, I think that's really helpful because it doesn't apply to everyone. There's a small exactly. group of people who really benefit from that. But she was, Gary donated. She got, Jenna's kidney was sent from Pennsylvania from, we found out later, from a man who was donating on his sister-in-law's behalf. So all these chains and swaps, are just helping people who would have no alternative. So um, definitely look into paired donation. And Well, and this is a, the National Kidney Registry has a lot of information. You know, join, um, join any support groups out there because I find inevitably we have a couple on Zoom and people pop up and tell us, your sto- tell us their story, how they're going about it, and, and try, as you said, you need to find a little support team. And if somebody's listening who's a family member of somebody who needs a, a, an organ, you know, maybe this is your cause. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, to help them because they they we need the help. I have to say, like you said, it's hard to go out and ask for something. So it's good to have a partner in crime. Right. People can donate if they don't have a recipient. If they want to donate National Kidney Registry or your transplant hospital, they'll find you a recipient. So right. I think anyone who's interested in learning more about uh, living donation and the protections and everything, National Kidney Registry is the place to go. It is. It's wonderful. Well, thank you, Carol, so much for uh, sharing your incredible journey of kidney donation and helping all your family members and so many people in the community by, you know, bringing awareness and, you know, learning how how it works and sharing your knowledge. Uh, It's really life-saving. Well, thanks, Lori. You know, I adore you and all your hard work, so I appreciate the talk. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.